today is Palm Sunday. And this should be a day of celebration. And next Sunday should be a, a, a day of celebration as we prepare for all that. And I was beginning this week, I was looking at that story about Palm Sunday. And I was kind of walking through that in my mind. The, the passage of scripture that stood out to me is found in Luke chapter 19, verse 40. And it makes this statement. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Yeah, I'm I'm thinking that, that, just think about that for a moment. If Jesus declared that that moment was worthy of an outward celebration to the point of saying that somebody or something is going to glorify my name, even if we have to go all the way down to the rocks to make it happen, that means it was a moment worth celebrating. I've always wondered what that meant. I mean, could it be that even at some level, creation itself knew what he was about to do? That he was about to set things right. Have you ever seen someone, though, get caught up in a moment? That that, that they kind of join in with the crowd and the celebration and the excitement and they don't even really know what's being celebrated? You know, Kim watches Nori some during the week, and, and uh, so we've developed a relationship with her, and it wasn't, it wasn't too long ago where a bunch of us were standing out in the foyer after service, and, and here's this sweet little baby, just a little over a year old, and, and there's a bunch of us standing there talking, and so I don't remember what it was. Somebody said something. Everybody started laughing and, and having a good time with what was going on, and she had no clue what was going on, but she was laughing with everybody else. She has got caught up in the celebration of what was going on, even though she had no clue. In her case, it was out of innocence. But sometimes it can be out of unawareness, unawareness of the purpose of the celebration. And I think that's a little bit of what was going on on this day. It's interrupted into a celebration as Jesus was coming in. And I think there were people that were genuinely excited, but I think some of them didn't get the purpose for the celebration. We know that, that there were some of them that were unaware. We also know them, some of them being unduly critical of some of them because the whole comment that Jesus made there about the rocks was because the Pharisees came along and said, okay, guys, this is getting out of hand. Let's bring this down a notch. Let's settle this thing down because you're acting just a little bit undignified. And Jesus says, oh, I'm not going to tell them to stop. If they stop, the rocks are going to cry out. Rock music, just a thought. (laughs) But even most who were celebrating Jesus that were there that day didn't really understand why they were celebrating. Matter of fact, I don't think that the whole city really understood what was going on. Oh, they were getting ready for the Passover. They had all their stuff going on they were doing, but I don't think they really grasped what was happening. But look at Luke 19, verse 41 and 42. It says this, And when he drew nearer and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. See, we call this Palm Sunday because the writers of all the Gospels address this story. 
And we know that they were gathering as Jesus was coming in. And Jesus sent his disciples on ahead. And he said, hey, go in the city. You will find this place. You'll find a, a colt of a donkey tied here. Just take it. If anybody stops you and asks what you're doing, you say the master have need of it. And it all played out just like Jesus said. And so Jesus is riding in on this donkey. And this, this celebration begins to take place. And people begin to cut off palm branches and lay it. They begin to make this highway as if to say that that. That him and the donkey he was riding on wasn't even worthy for their feet to touch the ground. This almost it was it was a it was an impromptu red carpet treatment, so to speak. And he comes riding in, and the celebration begins to take place. What a scene that must have been to hear all those people praising his name. And they were headed up to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And Jesus had ministered in the area all around that. You know, you read in the Bible how that if you go to this place and you go to that place, you see all these names. But it's really interesting because they lived in a day and time that they had to travel by foot or, or, or donkey or some fashion like that. That really all these places are really in a pretty close proximity to each other. By today's standards of us jumping in a vehicle and jumping on the highway, it doesn't take long to get to any of them. So no wonder, no wonder they had heard what was going on. Jesus had ministered in the area. Jesus had been teaching the multitudes. Jesus had fed the multitudes. Jesus had looked at tax collector in a little sycamore tree and said, Hey, would you come down from there? I'm going to your house today. And his life was transformed. Miracles had been formed. People were healed. Cripple could walk. Blind people could see. Lazarus was raised from the dead. So you can imagine all this begin to build and all the things that he did. And as he's coming in Jerusalem, it just kind of came together for this crescendo. They just begin to declare and people begin to sing his praises. Yet isn't it interesting that not too far from that, the crowds, the cries of Hosanna became crucify him. But I think as you read this story, to me it's incredible, this, this thought that here in the midst of all this, all this celebration, all this worship, all these things taking place, that we get this little... We get this little view of Jesus where all of a sudden in the midst of that celebration going on all around him, you can just picture all the noise and stuff, all of a sudden Jesus has a broken heart. Matter of fact, you might say, he was saying, it's my party, I'll cry if I want to. See, the gospel writers all tell this story. Matthew and Mark tell of how that he went... They tell it where he went straight into the temple and began to, to overturn the money tables and begin to clear out the temple court area. John tells about this exchange that began, where Jesus began to telling, explaining to his disciples that he was getting ready to go and, and, and give his life. And they, they didn't want to hear that, but it was the truth of what was happening. But Luke records this moment where all of a sudden, in the midst of all this, he stops and he's overlooking Jerusalem. I'm sure many of you have seen pictures, but there is something about when you're standing on the Mount of Olives and you look out and see Jerusalem and the Eastern Gate and all that stuff just laid out there before you. Because it's a beautiful place. 
Here you are in the middle of the desert as you're headed there, and all of a sudden there's this city that truly is a land flowing with milk and honey. It is a green. You know, I know that we see all the stuff, and you see desert and rocks and all this, and those places that are like that, but Jerusalem is this beautiful green city, just like God promised. And there's all these things that are going on. People are getting ready for the Passover, and, and just, it's, there's hustle and bustle and things going on all over the place. And to me, it's powerful that in that moment, Jesus stands there and he looks over the city and he begins to cry over it out of compassion. Let's look at it, verse 43 and 44. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your salvation. See, this crowd that was cheering him on now that would soon be shouting crucify him, one of the whole problems was they really didn't understand why he came. They had a misconception of what he was going to do. They had made a way for him to enter into the city, but in reality, they really didn't make a way for him into their hearts. See, the truth is, we must make way for Jesus because he's made a way for us. He paid the price. See, on the surface, it seems that they were making this path. It seems all these things, and, and, but, but the problem was their sight was limited. For most people's point of view, it was celebration time. It was beautiful Jerusalem, this religious capital of the world, this oasis in the desert, a city buzzing with activity, with people getting ready. It was, I mean, it was their version of Christmas almost. This was the Passover time. This was the time that was the biggest celebration of the year. People were traveling in from all over. The city was buzzing with activity. They were all coming, and they were, they were coming to worship. This was the number one religious holiday, and there was all these ceremonial acts being prepared for, and the temple area and the temple courtyard were just a buzz with activity. But sadly, so much of the activity was on the surface. It was superficial. It was a facade that covered a deeper reality. How many know that we sometimes put on a show because we really don't want people to know the hurt and dysfunction and the things that are going on in our lives? You walk in the door, somebody greets you, says, how are you today? And we say, great. And we walk away, say, well, I just lied. First thing in the church and I lie. Right? Sometimes there can be this, this noise and there can be celebration everywhere. Maybe a while ago when we were getting up and excited about what Jesus did on the cross for us and we were kind of singing in celebration ourselves, there was something in some of you that were going, you know what, but I don't feel too much like celebrating today. See, Jesus sees beyond, beyond the surface and into the heart of the matter. We can't hide things from God. You've all heard the, the, the famous saying that you can fool all the people some of the time. You fool some of the people all the, all the time. I want to add one more. You can fool Jesus none of the time. He 
He knows what's going on. And as he walked in that moment, and he's riding in, there's all this celebration going on. Jesus saw the reality of the city. Even though that all the buzzing and the appearance of all these religious activities, all these beautiful things going on, there was still this underlying unrest that the people had. They were under Roman rule. They were under all these things, and they were looking, they were longing to be set free. They were desperately in need of saving, but not like they thought. See, this is supposed to be God's city. This is supposed to be the land of promise. And here they were subject to this pagan government. They were wishing that that somebody would just show up and somebody would deliver them. They wanted their needs met, but they didn't even realize the condition of their souls. Let's get real this morning. How many of you have ever been frustrated with your own life? We have those moments, don't we? We know somebody asks you, say, I know I'm a child of the king, but sometimes I think I'm a stepchild of the king. Right? I'm just being real this morning. We have those moments. We say, Lord, I have my physical concerns. Lord, I've been diagnosed with this thing. It's causing me this problem. Lord, where's the royal physician? If I'm a child of the king, where's the royal physician? Come and heal me. Speaking of healing, it's, it's great to see Kitsy with us this morning. She has surgery on her back, and she was able to come in on her own power today. She was able to stand. She's recovering from surgery, but I love that the first thing out of her mouth when we got communication was that she said, but the greatest thing is the back pain is gone. It's just surgery pain now. Amen. <laughs> but sometimes... To get where she's at now, she had to go through a season where things were very difficult. And so I could see if there were moments she said, Lord, I was supposed to be a child of the king, but where's this, where's this healing that I need? Maybe you're here and you have some financial hardship going on, and you're saying to yourself, Lord, your word says that you own the cattle on a thousand hills. Can you sell one of them and send the proceeds my way? Or maybe you're saying, you know what, my family, there is so much drama and family relationships, we'd make a great, we'd, make a, we'd be right at home in some kind of king's court cable drama. <laughs> then there's unrest in our nation, there's all these things. And we are still impacted by the fact that we live in a fallen world. And this world is influenced by so much demonic activity and so many things that, that, that we can get caught up. Let's make no mistake, we are still in the midst of a battle. We all face situations in life that we know that it would be much better off if God would just show up and make everything right. But kind of like them... We're looking for Jesus to come on the white horse and set everything right in our world. But the reality is he has to come on a donkey first and become a sacrifice for our souls. The white horse and the ultimate victory comes later. 
And that's where the people that day missed it. They saw this conquering king coming to set everything right with their world. And Jesus is saying, not yet. I've got to do the deeper work first. That day's coming, but I've got to do the deeper work first. So you walked in today with your face showing that everything is okay probably, but deep down inside your heart is breaking. You're wondering, where is God in the midst of all this? Let's look at verse 41 again and really make a couple of comments here because it says, And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. That is not some uncaring God. The celebration was all around. They were shouting his praises. It was all happening. And in the midst of that, I mean, here he is. He looks at the city, and he is moved with compassion, and he begins to cry over the city. Can I explain to you today? He was crying. He wasn't crying over the buildings. He wasn't crying over the temple. He wasn't crying over it. He was crying over the people in the city. Matter of fact, in Matthew's account, he says this. He says, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood while under her wings, and you were not willing. See, the truth is, he desires to draw us close. He came to make a way. But so many times, if we're, if we're honest with ourselves, so many times we misunderstand the purpose of it all, and we don't allow him to come in and do what he desires to do to get things right before he can be that conquering king that we desire. Hebrews 4.15 says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. So in other words, Jesus in bodily form has experienced Everything that we experience as human beings, he knows what you are facing. There's no room for us to ever look back and say, but oh, Jesus, you just don't understand. Although if we were honest, we probably all said that at some point. Oh, Jesus, you're up there in heaven. Man, you just don't understand. But it's not true. He faced it all and he paid the price for it all. To make a way for us. Let's look at it here. I mean, think about this. He lived a life in this body. <clears throat> he suffered injustices. He knows what it's like to have friends abandon him. He knows what it's like to suffer physically. He knows what it's like to have people revile and criticize him for no reason. He, know what it's, he knows what it's like to be persecuted. He knows what it's like to have the hunger of pain, the pain of hunger and the the whole weight of, of just being incredibly thirsty. He knows all these things. If there's any one thing that we can learn about the gospel of Jesus is that he was a compassionate and is a compassionate God. Matter of fact, if you look at it, at least seven times in the gospels it described events with him saying, and he was moved with compassion. This idea, oh God, where are you? How, why have you left me behind? Is he's compassionate. He does care. He weeps over your circumstances. 
How many times did Jesus tell people, he said, go and tell others that the Lord has been compassionate to you. This is part of the way that we can make a way for other people. It's when he does these things, we go and tell them, hey, let me tell you what Jesus did for me. Because we all face things. There's, there's not a person in this room. We, I know sometimes people come in to a, to a church and they think, well, everybody at the church has it all together and I'm on the outside. I'm this stepchild like we talked about. And the truth is that's not the case. We all have our stuff. We all face our things. And when we share the testimonies with one another of what Jesus has done, let me tell you about when Jesus was compassionate about my situation. It lifts each other up. It encourages us. It's making a way for him. Because too many still don't know the real reason that he came. See, Jesus cares. And Jesus feels. Matter of fact, we know there's a famous passage, there's another famous passage in Scripture where it says Jesus wept. And that was when he showed up on the scene after Lazarus had died, been put in the tomb. Now, I, I, I love that story because it's this, I mean, can you imagine being Mary and Martha? I mean, you're, you're, you're best friends with Jesus. This kind of stuff's not supposed to happen to people that are best friends with Jesus. Jesus shows up on the scene, and their first words were this, Lord, if you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. Can we not admit we've all said those words? <laughs> Lord, if you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. But I love this story. What I love about this story is that Jesus is headed to the tomb. Show me where they've laid him. And he's headed there. He knows what he's going to do. He knows that Lazarus, even if he doesn't raise him up, Lazarus is all right. But but beyond that, he knows what he's going to go do. He knows that he's about to say, hey, guys, roll back the stone. Lazarus, come forth. So he's not crying over Lazarus. He's crying over the heartache and discomfort of the two sisters that were left behind. Let that thing sink in for a moment. That's a compassionate God that knows that it's all all right, that knows that's not the end, that knows that, that Lazarus is in good hands, but that he's even about to raise him back up, and he knows that. And yes, he is walking with them in that in-between time, and he is crying with them in that in-between time. That ought to be encouraging to each and every one of us that we walk through those seasons. They're like, Lord, where are you? He's saying, I know it's going to be okay. I know what I'm about to do, but you know, I love you so much. I'm going to walk with you, and I'm going to cry with you through this process. That needs to be an encouragement to us. But you see, in this moment, there's this misunderstood purpose. Jesus knows that many have mistaken this mistaken perception of where peace comes from. 
They all thought that peace would come if he would come in and he would throw lightning bolts and he would cast the Romans out of there and he would set up a new government and he would make it right. They were ready for heaven on earth right then and there. They wanted their needs met right there. But that wasn't the purpose. Verse 42, I love the way the New Living Translation says this and in conjunction with this thought. It says, it quotes to Jesus as saying, How I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace. You ever feel like sometimes Jesus looks at us and we're complaining and we're moaning and we're bellyaching and we're telling him how bad it all is? Don't you believe sometimes he looks at us and says, you of all people should know. Because what do we do? We read the stories of the children of Israel as they're wandering in the wilderness. We see these things happening. We read all of these things, and we, we can be pretty critical of them. It's like, you dummies. God just performed this miracle over here, and the very next bump in the road, you're, complying, you're crying and you're complaining, and you're saying, Lord, why have you forsaken me? And then he performs a miracle, and he gets you out of that. Then you come along and hit another bump in the road, and you're crying and complaining and, and saying, Lord, you've left me behind. Don't you see the track? How many know that we've, how many have read those stories and you feel that way? Don't you know if Jesus sometimes looked at us and say, you're guilty of the same thing? I performed this miracle on your behalf. I, remember when I saved you from this situation? And he had another bump in the road. Lord, where are you? I, hey, I'm, I'm right there with you. I'm not, and this is not me getting on to you. I'm just uh, giving you insight into how we think and how we do things because we do. God works miracle after miracle and miracle. And the next time we get in a situation, we think, oh, this is surely the time. He's, you know, he, he, he's always in the past. He's pulled this miracle out of his sleeve. But I think his, I think his sleeve has run out of miracles on my behalf. And it's not going to happen this time. I tell you, he's got some really long sleeves. He can meet our need again and again and again. And when we face situations, we can look back on the track record and say, you know what, the same God that did this, 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 and this is going to somehow, he's going to meet this need today. It may not look like we think. Matter of fact, I've got this own personal theory. If I can figure out how he's going to do it, I'm like, Lord, you can do this, and you can connect this person with this person, and you can make that happen, and it's all going to come together. Then once I figure that out, I'm like, well, that's not how it's not going to happen. <laughs> I think he likes to show off a little bit every now and then. He's like, oh, I could do it that way, but let me show you how I'm going to do it. He does that stuff. And, and Jesus knew that the, that the people's assumption was the Messiah was going to come and he was going to overthrow the government. He was going to set everything right with their world. See, Jesus knows better than us what truly makes peace in our life. See, many of them followed him because of the miracles they had seen. Many were following because he had fed them on a couple of occasions. Free meals, free health care, <laughs> sign me up. 
So there's this crowd that is following him. But I think many of them were looking for the surface answers. He's like, my purpose is much deeper than that. You want peace, but I'm talking about a different kind of peace. I'm talking about a peace down in your soul. I'm talking about the peace of being right with the Father. See, sometimes we think, oh, Lord, if you could just miraculously drop this check in my mailbox, I would be at peace. Lord, if you'd help me to find favor with this certain individual, and we've got this argument going on, if you would sway them to my side, I would find peace. Lord, I've got this relationship situation. Can I say this? I don't even know why I'm saying this, but I'm just, I'm just going to say this, especially for the, for the youth. Sometimes we can say, Lord, if you can give me a relationship with that person, or Lord, fix this relationship, the answer may be that's not who you're supposed to be in relationship with. You need to trust him. Trust him. That was not in my notes, so I felt prompted to say that, so I don't know which one of you that's for. John 14, 27, Jesus said this, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. See, he gives peace, but it's not peace as the world gives. This is the insight that we struggle with. We let all the surface, all the outside stuff affect our calm. Calm with peace. And they're not the same thing. See, the kind of peace that Jesus is talking about, matter of fact, Paul describes it as the peace that passes all understanding. In other words, it's a peace that doesn't make sense. Because the storm's still going on. But I'm at peace. My financial struggle is still there. But I'm at peace. My marriage isn't all I wanted it to be. But I'm at peace. See, God can do those things. You know, it's there when it doesn't make sense. It's there during the darkest night. It's there in the lowest valley. It's there all the time. It's there when the person that's supposed to be keeping your heart steps on it. Jesus desires to give you peace, but we must allow him to clear the way. And it usually doesn't look like we think. Let's look at verse 45 and 46, and then we'll begin to wrap this up. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Can you imagine? Right on the heels of all this celebration and all this stuff, right on the heels of 
of him crying and weeping over the city, we read the very next thing he does is he goes into the temple where they're getting ready for the celebration. They're getting ready for the Passover. They're getting ready for all this activity. And he walks in and he begins to upset the apple cart, literally. Knocking things over, saying, you know what? My father's house is supposed to be a house of prayer. Get this junk out of here. Let's return to the purpose that it was supposed to be for. So basically what he's saying is that, that Jesus saw past the surface. He saw past their worship as usual. And he says, your worship as usual has to change. See, I'm sure that there were some bad people there that were taking advantage of some people. I'm sure that was going on because he says a den of robbers. But I believe there were probably some there that were honestly just trying to make a living, that some of them were trying to provide the things that they would need for worship because this is the Passover season. I mean, think about it. People are coming in from out of town, from all over the place. They're going to, many of them aren't, aren't going to be carrying all the stuff, so they're going to need animals for sacrificing. They're going to need to exchange their, their money to pay the temple tax. Because they couldn't bring their foreign currency because there was a belief at the time, and probably a little bit rightly so, that they couldn't take that currency because many of them had kings and other things on. They said, you know, we can't take this money. It's got a graven image on it. So it had to be exchanged for the Jewish currency. And so I believe that many of them started this process with this idea of, hey, let's make it more convenient for those that are coming in. Probably on the surface, not a bad idea. But how many know many times what can start out with a, a good, a decent idea for the right purpose can eventually become something that is somewhere along the way it lost the purpose and it became something that it wasn't supposed to be. And I was thinking about that. You know what I pictured? I pictured this whole scene in the courtyard. Here this is supposed to be the place that they go in as they get ready to head into the the temple to worship. I pictured this whole scene almost like the best thing I could compare it to that, that we would encounter would be the concession stand area at a major sports ballpark. I mean, can you imagine? People are coming in. They're coming in from out of town. They got their families with them. They're walking in, and there's this whole courtyard thing going on. it's almost like as you're walking in, you're supposed to be preparing your heart to worship. You're supposed to be preparing your heart to to offer sacrifices. And somebody over here, $5 hot dogs right here. Or their version would be the most spotless lambs you can buy in the courtyard right here. We won't be undersold. Get your lamb here. And if you're poor, we have doves too. But I just can see all this stuff, you know, exchange your money. I can see, can you imagine just all the chaos that was going on in this place when it wasn't what it was supposed to be? What does Scripture say? That we're supposed to enter his courts with praise. But how are you supposed to praise the Lord there? How are you supposed to get your heart prepared for the sacrifices, what's supposed to be this thankfulness with all that going on. Can you imagine if you walked in on a Sunday and out in the foyer? I know we've got some coffee and stuff out there, but you know what? We're not charging stupid prices for it. Matter of fact, free is a pretty good price, right? 
It's for convenience. But can you imagine if all of a sudden you walk in one Sunday and it had all shifted and, and, oh, yeah, we'll give you this cup of coffee, five bucks. You know, and, and just everywhere you looked, everything had to be paid for. And, and there was, you know, pretty soon you'd be saying, you know what, I just don't feel like I can worship there. So you kind of get a picture of the environment of what was going on. And so, so they, they came in, and so Jesus walks up, and he's just, he's, he's not happy. He's turning it all over. He's clearing things out. Because somewhere along the line, this place that was supposed to be a place to prepare their hearts, it's supposed to be a place to meet with God, a place to seek forgiveness, a place of service, a place of sacrifice, had become something else. So Jesus had to clear it up. So we get a little keyboard in the background. I want you to think of something. I want you to shift that in your heart and in your mind. I want you to picture your heart. Your heart's supposed to be a place where he resides. But aren't we sometimes guilty of letting some things that started out with a decent attitude and we can't have reasons for it? All of a sudden, those things begin to crowd out what Jesus wants to do in your heart. That you find yourself when you're trying to have that intimate time with God, all the noises, all the distractions, all the things that are clamoring for attention, you can't even steal your heart and mind enough to get into his presence because of all the things you've allowed to creep in. Maybe as individuals, we need to let him come into the courtyards of our house in our life, in our hearts, begin to clear some things out, to overturn some, some pet things that we've allowed to get in. Say, Lord, I need you. See, because we can think, oh, I could have peace if the Lord would take care of this surface issue and this surface issue and this surface issue and this thing. And he's saying, no, 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 no. You can have peace if you'll let me come in and clear the stuff out of the courtyard of your heart. Let me get to the root cause of what you need. Then you can have peace. That's what I came to do. That's the price I paid. So we get ready to... Step into this Easter season. Just all the stuff that can go on. What if we let him clean out the courtyard of our heart a little bit to prepare to receive what he truly wants to do in our life? Because when he gets that right, what does it say? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you as well. See, our problem is we focus on these things. He says, just focus on me first. And I'll take care of those.